0: Welcome to Light of the World. It is great to have you. I'm Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. I'm here with Ben Strohschein and with Tom Howard. And we rejoice to um, be here to serve you. Also with uh, in the back doing audio and video is Brad Perry and Shane Perry. So we have a whole team here today to the glory of God to serve you on Light of the World. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We're very excited about it. We're actually getting close to wrapping up season one, guys. It's hard to believe. We've had a lot of great episodes by the grace of God. And um, before we get started, I just want to make a little public service announcement, if you will. This is a ministry of St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And um, along with myself, Pastor Stephen Mueller and the other great um, staff and members of the congregation are so happy to offer this service. But I need to get to the money part. And Here's the money part. We are not asking anybody for a penny. Uh, we are not asking for any money. We will not ask for any money. Um, what we are doing is inviting people to use this as a resources to get the word of Christ out into the world. We believe firmly with, with clarity and conviction that if our commitment is for the word of God to get out there, God will bless us. So we don't ask for any money. In fact, we would like to encourage you, wherever you are, to support your local congregation, to be a part of the ministry of that congregation, use your gifts to support your congregation, to pray for your pastor, and to be active in your church. In the meantime, we offer all the resources at St. Paul's, be it our day-to-day devotionals in Christ, uh, or this podcast, um our zoom bible studies and everything else we do simply to get the word of jesus out in this world in this age that needs the word of christ so with that we begin in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen and we are going back to um the book using uh this book uh is faith that sees through the culture uh published by concordia publishing house released in 2018 I had the privilege to write this book It is the basis for our outline for season one. We are on chapter 10, as we're going through the dualities of God's word, uh, with this idea that the more we understand the paradoxes and the dualities of God's word, the more Christians can have confidence in living their lives in the world. Well, one of the dualities of God's word that we talk about in the one that we focus on in chapter 10, uh, answers the question, it sounds a little funny, but the question is, when are we? When are we? It's about time, because the scriptures talk about time. And here we have an opportunity to share um, an ingenious biblical concept, concept in Lutheran theology called, in regards to time, called the now and not yet. How Christians can live effectively with confidence in the world is to know this duality of the now and the not yet. So you caught us on a day that we're going to talk about time. So what time is it? It's time to talk about time. <laughs> My brothers, uh, Tom and Ben, uh, what, are, what are some of your initial thoughts as we embark on today's subject matter? My first thought was uh, a chapter in Mere
1: Christianity where uh, C.S. Lewis espouses, uh the idea, his struggle with time, God being in time and yet out of time as well as he wrestles with how God can answer prayers, uh, all the different prayers throughout all time for all the different people and, um, and how <clears throat> we're presented again with this other duality where we live in uh, a time that is contained and limited by, you know, space and matter in uh, a linear timeline. Uh, but we worship a God and believe in a God who is outside of the constraints of that time uh, in the same ways
0: that we are. And so we are presented with I think some challenges as a result of that. Talk about a paradox. (laughs) There's, there's a paradox within the paradox and talking about our God who is eternal, who is beyond time and yet who enters in time at the same time. Ben, what are some of your initial thoughts? Yeah, this, this
2: one is um, one that's just personally helpful, right? As we think about the the world that we live in and as we face all kinds of struggles and challenges in this world and this life. And yet, of course, we're looking forward to having those struggles and things go away, to have sin come to an end, to have death come to an end, to reach that new heaven, new earth, that Eden 2.0, but we're not there yet. So how do I manage that? And so I think it's a very practical duality to consider, kind of like law gospel. Um, This now, not yet, I think is something that helps me to navigate the world that I'm in. How do I keep one foot in what's going on now and also look ahead and not to, to mix those up, but it's very practical.
0: That's fantastic, Ben. Thank you so much for that. And really Ben's uh, really providing kind of the uh, perfect segue because uh, the now and not yet is not just a theoretical or a theological concept. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a very practical concept, a biblical teaching that is meant to encourage the Christian as we go through life. Uh, because, and we'll be unraveling this more, of course, in today's program, but the now and not yet is something that every Christian actually has already. You have presently the now and the not yet. Now, that sounds kind of weird. I mean, how can you have the not yet when it's now? But there's a way, according to the Word of God, that that is true, And to get it to understand what God's word is saying about that makes all the difference in the world on a practical level on how we live day to day. So we'll be talking more about that. But speaking of time brothers, you know, when I started this particular chapter, I wanted to start with the priority of the present. Talk about a practical consideration because, uh, just as a first step here, we know that time is very, very good. We know it's part of God's good creation. We know that uh, Albert Einstein talked about the inextricability of space and time. They go together. And so when God created all things, he created time as well. When God said that all things were very good, he was referring to time as well. Time is good, and therefore time is very, very valuable. So when God is admonishing us not to be lazy right? Not to lay around and waste time. He is admonishing us not to sin against him in regards to his gift of time. So as we approach time, one of the priorities is to see that in time, the present is extremely important. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, What are your thoughts on the present being just a real priority for us as Christians? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a priority for us as Christians. It's
1: also a priority for us as, as just humans, right? In our human nature, we get very, very focused on the now, right? I think human beings are very, it, 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 it's difficult for us to think about ourselves in the future. You know, the decisions I make today, how that's gonna affect the future. Um, I've heard, you know, studies references where human beings are kind of given two choices, where it's, you can have $100 now, or you can have $200 you know, in two months or whatever. And most people will take the $100 now, (laughs) even though they're sacrificing money, they're leaving money on the table. Um, So we, in one sense, as humans, we very much focus on the now. What's happening now? Um, Don't give me this future talk. Um, And yet, as Mm -hmm. Christians, sometimes maybe we can fall into the trap of not thinking enough about the now and the importance of the now Mm -hmm. and the significance of what we're doing Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. you know, right Mm -hmm. now.
2: That's where I was going a little bit in my head, just in terms of, of one of the pitfalls that sometimes we, we, we struggle with, um, Christianity at like the base level, like the way people talk about it is, oh, you know, Jesus, you get to go to heaven. And so it's like, so we're going to go to heaven. Let's, let's go, let's get there. Right. Mm-hmm. As if, uh, that's the only goal or impact God has on our life is that one day later, mm. some, da- sometime down the road, we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll go to heaven, um, which overlooks the present—it it, it skips yeah. past all the things and the, the blessings that we have now, and wow. yeah. um, the work that's being done, and, and the and the avoidance of sin, and yeah, as if we can just look ahead.
0: Man, I—you guys are so good. I mean, what you brought up uh, is really important for us to take stock of because we have a tendency not to treat the now the right way. I love what, what you're both saying, but Tom, start with you. Uh, that the, we, we can be um, we, we can we can overdo the now. Uh, to the extent that we behave as if the now is all there is. And I I heard you describing um, uh, instant gratification, right? And in your analogy, and and this is so true. I I mean, if all we're thinking about is how can I be satisfied and gratified now, then we will forget the rest of the story, which makes us very myopic and certainly a problem. On the other hand, we can totally neglect the now, if we get ahead of ourselves, and we're always looking down the road, looking down the road, and we lose out on the beauty of the now. God's word certainly gives, gives us a balance. And, and one of the, one of those scriptures that help us with the balance is Psalm 118, 24. And that scripture is, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So we, the psalmist is teaching us a priority of now. Uh, this is now. I mean, you know, I, I might have regrets about what I didn't do tomorrow or what I, uh, I mean, yesterday. Um, But I can do something about it today in repentance. I I can love my brothers today. Uh, Even, even Brad, I can even love him today. Um, So I know, but um, so, so, so we have a proper perspective and um, Philippians talks about St. Paul says that, well, I'm going to read it right here. This is from St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians It's chapter one. Uh, picking it up at uh, verse um, uh, halfway through verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, in the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Just a wonderful balanced perspective. He sees the now today as an opportunity for fruitful labor. We could do good stuff today to the glory of God. And of course, I anticipate the day that I die and go to heaven. And, and we yearn for that. But in the meantime, we see that what we have here is fruitful labor. And that is just invaluable. It's not an either or. <clears throat> it's a both and. You
1: know, both those things are true at the same time, and we'd be well to keep both of those in mind. I think that's the challenge, right? Like, again, we go back to human nature. We tend to kind of fall in one extreme or the other. Um, We're either at this end of the spectrum or this. It's very difficult for us to live in balance and in harmony between, you know, multiple things being true at the same time. Uh, and so, you know, I, I've heard it, right, where Christians, you know, you know atheists or whoever kind of throw at it in the Christian's face. Well, you know, if heaven's better, if heaven's where you should be, then, you know, why don't maybe just even consider ending your life here on earth? As if that truth negates the value of human life, the opportunity that my life provides to do what I'm called to do as a Christian, which is to love and serve my neighbor and uh, to, to make this place um, better when and where and how I can. Um, so we, we can fall into one of those two traps. And I think for us as humans, but also for us as Christians in the context, of what we're talking about to keep both of those things, um, at the forefront of our minds.
0: I love that. Um, ben, before you go, you reminded me of something Luther said that I didn't put in this chapter, but Luther said, um, live as if Christ. Um, died yesterday, rose today, mm-hmm. and it's coming back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and keeping that balanced both and before us. I love that. Ben? Keeps it really close. Yeah. You, right. As if it's <laughs> right? not some
2: distant, distant. Um, yeah, the thing that, that triggered for me there was the idea of value, right? That's where the this or that. Either this has value or that has value. And so uh, that's where the two errors come from is, if I value heaven, that's where I want to go. Well, then, yeah, let's. maybe we should just get there now. But that's devaluing this life. Or if we're overly focused on this life and the future is insignificant to us, then we're devaluing the future mm. rather than letting both mm. have immense value simultaneously. It's not like, you know, for time to have value doesn't mean you don't. Mm-hmm. Because can both have immense value. I don't have to diminish the other Yeah for that to be true. And I think that might be the the case for the present and the future. Both yeah. can have immense value without taking away from either side.
1: I'm reminded of this and I'm convicted often as a teacher, um, You know, lives as teachers and students, you get uh, especially into the spring, uh, you're getting closer and closer to the end of the school year and what does everybody want? Man, we just wanna be on summer break, right? I mean, that's the best, that's better. Mm-hmm. We wanna be on summer break. Yeah. But to be reminded that well, we have today, you know, yeah. we have right well, now. Yeah. Why not make this yeah. good as well? Why does it have to be that, you know, going to work or being in school or yeah. doing it is bad? I'm just yeah. living for the day where I can get on vacation, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, working for the weekend mm-hmm. type yeah. concept. Well, if all I'm doing is focusing on the weekend, if all I'm yeah. doing is focusing on break or vacation,
0: yeah. what yeah. am I missing? Man, that's you so know, good. Right in front of me today. Oh, that's so good. That's exactly it. That's what we want to avoid speaking of having that proper focus on the day, is Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. St. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time, for the days are evil. And you, you struck me as you were describing that because if we are looking past the now to get to the weekend or get to summer vacation, then we are letting down our guard about the threats of today, but even more, as you were putting it, about the opportunities and blessings for the day. So to have that present perspective is absolutely invaluable. Um, The other thing that um, I want to mention is um, Christ does, in fact, warn us about a... Um, inappropriate preoccupation with the future as part of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says at Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. What do you think about of, of that verse from our Lord? <laughs> I don't know if it's comforting or not. <laughs> <laughs> <All> right? <laughs>
2: Normally it's like, you know, don't worry about today. Cause tomorrow it'll be better, right? <laughs> just <laughs> just, don't worry. Just focus on today. Cause tomorrow's going to be just as bad. <laughs>
0: yeah. And today has problems. And today's bad enough right? as it is. Yeah. There's enough to worry about. And how valuable is that for the Lord to say, I love you so much. I'm giving you a heads up. You've got troubles today, mm-hmm. you know, and if we go through life, not being aware of those threats, we've got a problem. But if we're aware of those threats, walking with the full armor of God, mm-hmm we're going to be refined in our faith and blessed.
2: Yeah, ignoring them is not the move. No. <laughs> or pretending like it's not, you know, there's right. there's not troubles or anxieties or issues going on today. Yeah. And it doesn't work to just look ahead. I think that's what yeah. everyone does, right? This is why we work for the weekend because I can ignore today's issues if I can just look ahead to watching football all day on Sunday and that will that'll be the the cure for uh the, the struggles and difficulties I have today if I can just get there
0: then it'll i can ignore this stuff but that's no way to deal with life's issues or anxieties you excited me just now when you you mentioned football and uh you started to get me to think about the future (laughs) right there you go (laughs) but um i'm a a big fan i'm a big fan of nfl players who are um, devout christians who aren't unafraid to let people know i used to love drew Brees, and i still do but he retired and then i started following Derek carr he's got a a Cairo on his throwing arm and everything. And he was, uh, he, he was released by the Raiders and, and now he's going to be on, on the New Orleans Saints. So I'm looking forward to being a Saints fan <laughs> this coming year, but I have to tell my sinful flesh not to get wrapped up in looking forward to the, the NFL season too much because I need to live for today. Now there is something in God's word though, that does put the future in perspective. There is a category of the future that Christians are supposed to be thinking about. And that is about the glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God actually wants us to anticipate that day. He wants us to be excited for that day. He does not want us to fear future death, but to be able to lift up our heads and see our salvation is drawing near. What do you think about that? Things will be better. It goes
1: back to what we were talking about earlier. It will be better for us on the day of of Jesus's return. Uh, That's what our peace is in. That's what our comfort, the peace that passes all understanding for a Christian. It's not in the the circumstances of my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's knowing what will happen when I meet the God of the universe face to face. Mm. And that is still better. And it's not a false better. It's not, yeah. you know, wait till next year because that's the year my team, whatever sport, <laughs> will put it all together and we'll finally, you know, make the run. And depends on your team, uh, right? You <laughs> on your team. Some have more reason for optimism than others. <laughs> um, but this is an actual promise, you know, that we are given that, mm-hmm. you no, know, next year, yeah, will be better. Yeah, and that's what we, you know, have as our piece as we navigate through the the trials and tribulations of this current. Day in life, So good. Well, and I think too, to bring it back to the interplay of the two,
2: it, it's knowing that mm. impacts how I do view today. Mm. Right. So one of the examples mm. that, that I use in class, sometimes when we get to the book of Revelation is, you know, this whole, it is finished stuff is that it actually is finished. So when we talk about mm. this, it's, it's not hope like in the wishful thinking, like, I hope I win the lottery. This is as if it's done already. You want know, to talk right. about God being outside of space and time, right? It's we're waiting for it, but it's already done too. Yes. You know, there's no, yeah, that's there's it. no concern about if the battle will go this way or that way, right? That's it's finished.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: And so the, the example I'll use sometimes in class is when you watch a scary movie, you know, whatever your preference is, the first time you watch it, it's pretty scary because you don't know, you yeah. know, who's going to make it and who's not well the second time you watch it since you know the ending then when you see that person who you know survives they're hiding and it's still you know the music might get you there's some tense moments it's not as if you have no care or worry for them at all but it's different right and so that certainty and that hope of that future day works backwards to give me confidence and comfort and hope for for now
0: too that's really cool analogy i like that Yeah, fear, fears in the unknown. Right. Right. But I know, but we know I don't have unknown. Yeah. Yeah. If I ever watch jaws again, I know when the the great white (laughs) comes up out of the ocean, I know what's going to happen. I'm ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The, um, you were bringing out Ben uh, this, you're, you're starting to help us get to this now and not yet. And it's so cool to think as, as you were already starting to describe that when we say the, not the, not yet what we simply mean by that is from our limited time perspective we simply do not yet see what is already there uh the victory of christ as you were alluding to through his um, to telestai on the cross it is finished is already done obviously he is already victorious he is already glorious he is already ruling over all things this reality is completely stable and in place right now. The only difference is that we do not yet see it with our fleshly eyes, but it's already there. And to think that the moment we die, we get to see that glory in Christ. Um, You know, and then there are a lot of theories about exactly how does that work, and we're going into a realm that we don't fully comprehend uh, some in the church have hypothesized that when we die, and we, this is really kind of wild because we die at different times in the chronological timeline, right? Uh, but when the Christian dies, the Christian goes into the last day to see the glory of Christ. Well, how does that work? Well, thank God that he's God. He knows. We don't have to worry about it. But it gets back to what is already in place and what is already fully established, very good. Well, I think I'd, I'd like to take a moment to get to this section in the book where we talk about how even Christians can can treat the future and think of the future and think of the future in ways that, that raise anxiety, even within the Christian church. And it's here in the book that I bring up um, what was produced by uh, John Nelson Darby in the mid-1800s. Um, Darby uh, developed a system called dispensationalism. I know that's a long word, but it's important to be aware of, dispensationalism. In dispensationalism, there are seven uh, eras or epochs of time that divides all of history. And in those respective seven epochs, God relates to humanity in seven different ways. And we, according to the system of dispensationalism, which is completely unbiblical and wrong, let me make that very clear. According to the system, we are currently in the age of grace or the epoch of the church, the Christian church. That's dispensation number six. Dispensation number seven will be the so-called millennial kingdom where Christ comes to earth to rule on earth literally for 1,000 years. By the way with the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt and re-established for Jews to continue the sacrifices in the temple. It's pretty wild. Uh, as wild as it is, though, guys, um, it is extremely popular. There are a ton of Christians in the United States who believe in dispensationalism. Uh, the words that are often tied to dispensationalism are... Uh, Pre-tribulational, premillennial dispensationalism. I mean, try to say that real fast ten <laughs> times. Pre-tribulational, premillennial dispensationalism. And what that means when it's when it says, when they say pre-tribulational, they're talking about when the rapture, according to their teaching, their definition of rapture occurs. That it will occur. Christian God will remove all Christians from earth, take them to heaven, leaving behind only unbelievers. They're saying in pre-tribulational that that rapture will take place where the Christians will leave planet earth before the seven-year tribulation when the Antichrist will come to persecute all, all who would later, who are left behind, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then after the seven years is over, now you go to the millennium of the 1,000 years of Christ on earth. And then after that, you finally have the consummation of eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. This is pre-tribulational, pre dispensationalism. The reason, and, oh, and by the way, what, what kind of brought it to the forefront in the United States of America uh, remember, John Nelson Darby introduced this in the mid 1800s. But a chap by the name of um, um, Schofield uh, wrote the Schofield Reference Bible um, at the beginning of the 1900s, took the Bible and provided study notes to teach people in America about pre-turbulational, premillennial dispensationalism. So it started to grow. And people in America started to believe it. And then more recently, in the 1970s, there's a chap by the name of Hal Lindsey, who took uh, the country by storm. He wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, which was the number one bestseller throughout the entire United States of any book of any genre. He sold over 30 million copies of his book in the United States of America in the 1970s. That, that's just phenomenal. I mean, if you write a book today and you sell 10,000 copies, that's kind of cool. 30 million copies of the late great planet Earth. Then in the 1990s, there was a team formed um, by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And they started to write novels called the Left Behind series. And brothers, this series went throughout the um, started in 1995. Went through the late 1990s, went into the 2000s, early 2000s, where they had time to write many of these novels, and they sold somewhere between 70 to 80 million copies of the Left Behind series, which is perpetuating pre tribulational, premillennial dispensationalism to this day. And that has influenced how many Christians in America view politics, our relationship with Israel, the rebuilding of the temple, the reestablishment of the red calf to start up the sacrifices again, the anticipation of the antichrist, the insistence that there will be wars in the way that they understand the book of Revelation completely missing its genre, and basically uh, trying to establish a self-fulfilled prophecy of how they understand the scriptures so that one, one way that I warned against this in my doctoral dis- dissertation is a new version of John 3:16, for God so loved the world that He sent World War Three, uh, yes, World War III, because of the in- inevitability of this coming war that must take place according to their reading of Revelation, which stems from pre-tribulational premillennial dispensationalism. It's very very dangerous. Now, having said all of that stuff, why in the world am I, am I so concerned about it? Because I have a loved one that I was growing up with who had in his library, a voracious reader, uh, the book of Hal Lindsey, Lake Great Planet Earth. And that influenced his understanding of Christianity. And the more I learned about this and realized other Christians would read this stuff, and we get very practical here. It's, all the other stuff is you know, academic if we don't get to this. People start living, Christians start living with an anxiety about the future. Am I going to be left behind? Mm-hmm. Am I going to make the cut? When's the Antichrist coming? When is the war going to break out? And those Christians, by this system, are taught to live in fear. And that got my blood going. I, I'm, I'm very not happy with this <laughs> because God's flock, the precious Christians that belong to Jesus, are called to have peace. They're called to know that all is in control, that he's holding us in the palm of his hand. And this kind of view of the future goes against what Jesus wants us to have in the here and now. Some of your thoughts, brothers. That was a very good and concise
2: (laughs) explanation of the history of that view. That was was wonderful. Um, It's overwhelming. Uh, as, As you're talking, I'm thinking of like, okay, Do we have time to go through each of these things and try to explain kind of the error of them, like the rapture or some of these ideas that have, that have been misplaced, um, but maybe to simplify it, I don't know if we're going to do all of that today, but uh, it might bring up the importance of what is our most important source. Um, and of course for us, that's, that's the scriptures. And and what's happened in, in this movement is a move away from the scriptures to Pulling a few pieces here and there, not being faithful to the context, uh, not being faithful to the circumstances. Like you said, genre is huge when you get to like a book, uh, a book like Revelation, of course. Um, And what can go wrong very quickly when people get a hold of these texts and then use them however they see fit, right? There's, there's a lot of imagination and creativity that took place here. That is not biblical. Right. It's not from God. It's not describing the world that we live in. It's not describing our God or who he is or how he functions. Um, maybe at the very, very baseline of that was the original <laughs> concept is there are seven different ways that God is going to act throughout history. He used to act this way. Then he acted that way. Then the God that doesn't change. The God that treats his people the same, the God who yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of evidence that God is God and his nature has not changed. His love for his people has not changed. His creation has not changed. So So that, that, that opening error now opens the floodgates to,
0: to all of these other issues. So good, Ben.
2: Um, And, and just to, before I forget it, I guess. Um. I think maybe a a really good example as to why that's not true, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm saying it, I'm calling it an error. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul's description in Romans 4 of how Abraham is saved is the example for how I am saved, right? Abraham had faith and it's credited credited to him as righteousness and then he turns to you and me and says, your faith will be credited to you as righteousness. Sure sounds like God was dealing with Abraham in the identical way that he dealt with Paul and the identical way that he's dealing with us. And so there's plenty in scripture that's gonna show us that yeah. God has not dealt with his people differently, that he doesn't change, that he's not, that that opening error is is an error, in fact. It's not just my opinion against it.
0: That is so good that I wish I had put it in the book. Um, this idea, this fundamental idea that what it's doing at the end of the day, it's depicting God as changing. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures come right and come right out and say it both in the Old and New Testament, he's immutable. He does not change. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Because what generates fear and anxiety in our lives? It's the prospect of change. Mm-hmm. You know, what if the economy goes down the, the toilet? What if you get hit by a great earthquake? What if, what if, what if, what if? But the scriptures are saying, you never have to think that way when it comes to God. Mm-hmm. He will never stop loving you. He will never break his promises. He will always provide for you no matter what happens. So I love what you're saying. I think it's a fundamental uh, flaw of this system we're talking about that causes anxiety. As you guys are talking, it's phenomenal. Um, I keep thinking
1: about how much that fear and anxiety, where it comes from change, it comes from the unknown, right? Because change can be good if we know what, what the change is. right? If we don't know what the change is, then that, that fear and anxiety comes in. But how much of, if, if God changes and if, if God's going to view me does it open the door then for me to think that God's going to view me differently, mm-hmm. and that I'm somehow now the spotlight's on me, the onus is on me mm-hmm. to affect how God acts mm-hmm. and and what God does? <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I need to do this, I need to do X, Y, Z. Once I do that, now God will act, now God will respond. And boy, every time we put that onus back on ourselves to to yeah. think. I am required, I am needed to do something, fulfill something, accomplish something. Boy, enter in the fear and the anxiety and the unknown. I mean, that, that becomes a really,
0: really scary thing. Yep. So the immutability of God translates into our confidence and our comfort. And that's so, so important. Now, the other problem that I did manage to get into the book is that part and parcel of the pre-tribulational, pre dispensational system is at the end of the day, saying among other things, that we have to wait future for what Revelation describes as Jesus um, uh, conquering the devil. Um, that hasn't happened yet because of this futurism that's embedded in this teaching. So um, everything that you read about the devil being bound in Revelation hasn't happened yet. And so it must be, and this, guys, this is part and parcel of the teaching of pre-tribulational, pre dispensationalism. And by the way, if you just want to summarize it, just call it rapturism, okay? And trust me, you're not going to turn on the TV and see pastors come out on stage and say Hi, I'm a pastor of pre-tribulational, pre-millennial dispensationalism. But you can recognize them a mile away when they start talking about stuff like this. And one of the things that they're going to talk about is the devil ain't bound yet. And that's why this world is run by the God of this age. And the devil is in charge right now in this age. And we have to wait when he will be bound in the future. If you ever hear that, you should turn off your TV and run to an Orthodox church as soon as possible. Because Christ has already won the victory. This is why Christians, in James chapter four, verse seven, God tells the New Testament Christians, he's telling you, he's telling us, you, you who are baptized into into the risen Lord Jesus Christ, James four, seven, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has to, because you belong to the king who already kicked his, who already defeated him. Well said, <clears throat> good restraint. <laughs> so um, this is something that is so important. Now, now, oh, okay, Let, let's say we had a guest here, um, and we're, of course we'd be really kind to our guest and hospitable to our pre-tribulational, premillennial dispensational guest. But let's say he came back at this and said, well, well wait a minute, you know, that sounds good, you know, but how can you explain this world run amok with all of these evils and all of these problems? If God is really victorious and in control, why would all of this be happening? And what we explain here in the book in this chapter is, wait a minute, don't forget God's modus operandi. He is a God who calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. He is a God who refuses to be accepted and verified by the opinions of people who want it to look good according to their opinion. When Jesus was walking on this earth, God in the flesh, doing his public ministry in the first century AD, people didn't see God Mm -hmm. in his flesh. They saw humility When he was riding on the donkey, they didn't go, wow, look at God Almighty. They just didn't recognize him. God hasn't changed his methodology. He still works that way. And he wants his believers to quietly recognize the truth of his word in spite of what we see in the world today. So he's not going to go along so people, so he'll tickle the fancies of people and make people go, wow, you must be God. Uh, as a matter of fact, that wouldn't work anyway because the scripture say that even if someone rises from the dead, many still won't believe in God. People might say, well, if I see it, then I'll believe it. Well, most of the time they're lying through their teeth. Even if they saw it, they still wouldn't believe it. Now I'm getting excited. Sorry. <laughs> other, other other thoughts, brothers? Well, You got me thinking about, like you said, how God operates, uh-huh. right? Now
2: when you talk about walking by faith and not by sight uh i think it is important to know i know you didn't mean blind faith but we're not talking blind faith we're actually saying i can walk forward in trust yes in things i don't know because of what i do know that's right right and so if you look back we, we can do that with with stuff that's already occurred historically that's right. so i can follow yep. how god interacted with israel yep but if i would have if i could place myself in the story for a second yeah i would imagine how confused I would have been, yeah. how uncertain I could have been the anxiety yeah. of the unknown. I mean, we have the benefit of reading the whole story from, yep. from beginning to end, but yep. you know, if I'm a, a slave in Egypt and we, we get told to, to kill an animal and put some blood on the door, I'm going, wow, what, what mm-hmm. is this about? You know, this mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to a regular old person. Right. Yep. But then it works and we end up cross We, we, we get to to flee Egypt and we get up to the edge of the Red Sea and we're like, well, now we're screwed. You know, this is all over. I thought he brought us out here to, well, and then it parts. Like, so you could trust in the next thing working out because the last couple have, Mm -hmm. right, the whole blood on the door worked. Then we cross the Red Sea, then we get out to the desert. Of course they grumble and think, well, we just brought, came out here to die. Well, no, don't you remember? You just crossed the Red Sea. Like you you can look back on the things that he has done to establish his faithfulness and his trust to his people which then gives you the ability to walk forward in that trust in that faith without knowing exactly it's not it's not this uh blind faith or an unguided faith it's trust in in a god who has demonstrated his ability to do this you know the same thing of we jump ahead all the way to the cross Mm -hmm. you know jesus kept telling them i'm going to go to the cross i'm going to die this Mm -hmm. was going to happen and peter says no that'll never happen well i probably would have said the same thing how Mm -hmm. could You die, you're the Messiah. You are the one, you are God. And he just couldn't grasp the story in the midst of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I guarantee you standing there at the cross that day, it felt like it was all over. That was literally the greatest victory of all time. It just didn't look like it to the humans observing the activity at the moment, even though God was doing something different. So that allows me getting to observe all those stories, allows me to trust that in the midst of our confusing lives, God is at work I'm not sure how or where or when or what he's going to do next, but he seems to have been after it the whole time, even if it didn't appear so to the people in the moment. And again, depending on where you plug yourself in, I mean, if you're a slave in the middle of that 400 years, you just made bricks and died and then your kids made bricks and died. But God had his plan and it was working towards his goal and his purposes. And so whether god is good or not is not determined by what do i think he's doing today it's determined by what i know he has done most importantly christ on the cross for his people that's what gives me confidence that god loves me he gave himself up for me not today's circumstances not tomorrow's circumstances not a good economy not a promotion that's not where i look for for that that confidence Um, and so that, that walking in faith is possible because I know of, of who and what he's done historically, and for me too, including my own personal salvation and my baptism and hearing God's word.
0: That is so good. I, I'm just just a slight comment. Um, thanks for kind of filling out Second uh, Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. It, it's not an untethered faith. It's not right. an unguided faith. It's not a stupid faith. It's not an unintelligible faith. It is a faith that is tethered to the Word of God, and God has made promises to us. So even though I can't see it with my fleshly eye, right. I know the reality because I have the Word of God God me. It's like we talked with such
2: certainty that yeah. Christ is going to come back. Yep. Well, yep. I haven't seen that, Yep. so I have to walk in faith, not yep. by sight, because I have not observed it. Yep. But I have the full confidence that He will because... He said so. Amen. He made that promise, and I know his promises are good. Amen, brother. So it's it's not a, a wishful thinking; it's a certainty. That's so good.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge of faith <clears throat> at its core, right? Um, you know, people ask Jesus, you know, after he fed the five thousand, you know, what's the work? What do you want us to do? And Jesus says, just believe. Believe in the one in whom he has sent. Um, it, it, that's not easy. Um, when I'm not seeing the full picture, I haven't read the last chapter of the book. I don't know where this is going. I don't really know. I know where it's going, but it's not based on what I've concluded or what I'm observing, what I'm seeing. And, uh, you know, but yet that's how we also, I think, make decisions in our lives, you know, going forward, the trust that I have in humans, uh, you know, my parents or, you know, my friends or my family, you know, why would I believe that they're going to be there for me if I need them in the future. It's not because I've seen the future. Mm. It's because of what they have done for me in my past. That's what gives me confidence for the future. So as I'm trying to look at this world and trying to draw these conclusions for myself and see, well, where do I think this is going? That's what's gonna get me in trouble. Instead of saying who God has been in the past all throughout, not just in my life, but throughout you know, what the scriptures record and tell us you know, which is the our former principle, the foundation of our faith, that we go back to that and be grounded in that as I'm looking at this current world and my current life circumstances, as well as others and going, this doesn't look good. This doesn't make sense, but that's never where I, why I place my trust in the future in either circumstances or in people, I always look to the past to garner and, 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 and have faith, you know, be instilled and be preserved in me for the future.
0: That's fantastic. Um, and you were reminding me as you were describing this brother, that, um, when we're in this, this, um, this nexus of the tension of the, you know, dealing with our anxiety, but knowing we're called to faith. What is to prevail when we're in the middle of that tension and struggle is the gift of prayer. This is where prayer comes in at this precise moment when we recognize our doubts, but we know the promise and we're going like this, what do we do? You pray, (laughs) that's what you do. And the Lord takes this opportunity to refine our faith and make us stronger as he trains us to pray. But you got to understand the nexus. You have to be open about the conflict. You have to be real about the doubts. And he says, bless you. And now you're calling on my name. Can I add to that with, the, with the idea of prayer? It's
1: also to be in community with one another yep. as, as Christians, uh, to, to talk, to share, to wrestle together, right. As God calls us to be in that community of the church, um, have conversations with other Christians. Yes. Sit down, talk, be reminded. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just, you know, what we get to do here, <clears throat> I get to listen to you guys talk, and it just brings things into my brain. It reminds mm-hmm. me. It, it gives me different perspective, a different way of seeing, maybe a truth I've known for a while, but it gets brought to the forefront of my mind. Um, you know, being in the community with other Christians is, is,
0: is so important. I'm yeah. so glad you said that. <clears throat> because um, we Lutherans, when we talk about the resource of prayer, we always see it under the spectrum, the umbrella of be it individual or small group, like hanging with your Christian friends, or congregational in the community, in the divine service. So it's all of the above, and it's important we don't lose this full picture. Um Before I go on, and as I'm turning the page through the chapter, um, I I did want to get back to a couple of things. Ben had asked uh, whether, uh, well, how far we would go about just for a little further information about the pre-trib, pre mill dispen. It's another way of referring to it, by the way. (laughs) If your mouth gets tired, you you don't have to say pre-tribulational, pre-millennial dispensationalism, just say pre-trib, pre mill dispen. Uh, anyway, so, um, a couple of things, just, just so y'all know, um, one is, as I've mentioned, and it was mentioned again, um, one of the reasons for the confusion is that many Christians will approach the 66 books of the Bible as if they were written in the same style or genre. And, uh, we cannot do that because God is so rich he is so abundant in his blessings, he communicates the truth of his word in different genres. So uh, there is historical narrative, like what we have in the Pentateuch, tracking the travels of the Israelites. There uh, are letters uh, called epistles in in the New Testament. Um, There is poetry um, in the Psalms. There is the unique genre of wisdom literature, which we have in the Proverbs and in others, some in the Psalms and in Ecclesiastes, for example. Uh, so you have all these different types of uh, presentations of, of the written word, but you also have on that list a genre called apocalypticism. Now, that's the fun one, um, in my humble opinion, because it's fascinating in that it's known for, specifically, figurative language, symbolism, and numerology. And if we read figurative language, symbolism, and numerology in a literalistic wooden fashion without seeing the symbolism, we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Now, the books that really stand out in using apocalypticism uh, are the books Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, Revelation in the New Testament, uh, then um, the uh, second half of Daniel, um, and then uh, parts of Zechariah. Uh, there's a little apocalyptic section in uh, Matthew uh, Matthew 25 when Christ comes as judge and divides the sheep the sheep sheeps the sheep and the <laughs> the sheep and the goats. Um, I always have fun with the singular and plural, with <laughs> certain, you know, like. Is it moose, mooses, or meese? It's just moose, anyway. Um, so, um, what was I saying? Yes. So, the genre of ap- apocalypticism has to be recognized, or you're going to completely alter the meaning of meaning of the Book of Revelation. If anyone ever says, "Hey, let's do a Bible study in Revelation," and you get a source that represents pre-tribulational, premillennial dispensationalism. A disaster is about to happen in your church. Don't do it, okay? Uh, years ago, about 25 years ago, God, I can't believe I'm saying this, about 20 years ago maybe, uh, Reverend Dr. Stephen Mueller, my colleague, uh, wrote a Bible study for Concordia Publishing House on the book of Revelation. I thought he did a great job, uh, straight and to the point. Um, if you ever collect the Good News Magazine, which is outstanding, the Good News Magazine, Uh, They have an entire uh, issue dedicated to the book of Revelation. It is outstanding. If you want a more in-depth commentary, the Concordia commentary done by Lewis Brighton on Revelation is outstanding. These are great resources on the book of Revelation. But even our study notes in the Lutheran Study Bible on Revelation are also very, very good. The second thing I wanna say before we leave uh, pre pre tribulational, premillennial dispensationalism is a perhaps next to the botching of God's immutability that you already brought up, and the botching of Satan not being bound, is this. And and this one is probably the one that puts the final nail in the casket of pre tribulational, premillennial dispensationalism. First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning at verse thirteen. Brothers, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, uh, those who've died physically, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Wow. So so when Jesus comes, he's going to come with those who have died in Christ. It's amazing. According to the Lord's own word, We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. In Tim LaHaye's book, Left Behind, if you're left in his book, that's not good. But in the Bible, if you're left, that's good. (laughs) We who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, it's good to be left, will be caught up. Oh, there's the rapture. (laughs) There's the rapture. But it's the biblical rapture. It's not the rapture of pre-tribulational, premillennial dispensational. This is the biblical, I almost said laughter. This is the biblical rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore encourage each other with these words, which is to say that we who are left, no big mean antichrist beating us up. No, you know, all this stuff that goes on in the way Revelation is misinterpreted. But rather, we who are left, yes, with trials and tribulations in the last days, yes. But we're left with the Holy Spirit, with this church against which even uh, hell will not prevail, right? Uh, The devil is defeated in Christ. We're left safe in the hands of God. On the last day, we will be caught up with the Lord when he comes again in glory. That's the truth. That's the comfort. And so we don't want to let go of the historic understanding of the last days in the eschaton. Let us encourage each other with those words.
1: <laughs> right. It doesn't seem encouraging to tell people, Hey, you better check yourself, make sure that you're good because the day's coming and you know, you don't know what's going to happen and you better make sure your ducks are in a row and your house is in order. Yeah. And so that you're on the right side and. You know creating which just creates nothing but fear oh, let man. us encourage one
0: another we will be okay amen. because god's got us amen i was taught this with my students at, i i taught a long time at concordia university irvine and uh I shared this with one of my classes along the way and and i had some i had some students write on some of this and some of them gave their testimonies uh, about this event and and they said one of them when i was growing i was taught when i was growing up i saw these movies and i you know, I heard about these books and was, were told these stories. This is how I t- was taught with my Christianity. And, and, and I, I was still young. I was like 10 or 11 years old. And I got up a Saturday morning and, and nobody was in the house. And I went into my parents' room and my mom's pajamas were laid out on the bed. And I thought I had been left behind, that they were raptured and I was left behind. I was terrified until they came home. And I realized it hadn't happened after all. So Jeez, Yeah. Yeah. Let's encourage one another with, <laughs> with the right teaching, right? With the right teaching wow. where we are and when we are into intertwine the Holy cross. So here, what we're getting into, if, if you bring some of the, if you bring some of the dualities into convergence of um, when we are and where we are, um, when we are is the now and even though the majesty of the glory is already ours in Christ, like we said before, we can't see it now. And the where we are is, well, it, it's also being in a place that is full of persecution and discouragement and all this stuff. You put that together, the Christian can really get down sometimes. The Christian is bearing a cross. What does Jesus say in Matthew 16, 24? Um, he says, uh, if anyone would follow me, uh, come after me, he must take up his cross. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Well, bearing a cross isn't easy. When we're being faithful in vocation, it isn't easy. So when these converge, we actually understand that we should expect that very often we who have been given the Holy Spirit to protect us and guide us will nevertheless often struggle in life. Christians can be discouraged. Christians can wrestle with depression. Christians can have anxiety. Nobody knows this better than God. So what do you think? If God knows this, is going to happen for his children, what does he do? Well, good luck, guys. Good luck. No, not at all. Because he knows this is going to happen, he gives us the most wonderful gift that as our Heavenly Father he could possibly give us. He gives us his holy church and his holy service of his word and his sacrament. Especially he gives to us the Holy Sacrament, of the body and blood of the reigning Lord Jesus Christ now. And we get to go through a dress rehearsal every Sunday morning of Christ coming, Christ coming, Christ coming. Be anxious about the Christ coming? What are you talking about? The Lord brings me into his church every Sunday. He comes to me every Sunday. And you know what he does When he comes to me, every time, the veil between earth and heaven opens up and he blesses me. He forgives me. He loves me. He teaches me I have nothing to fear as I abide in this world with the cross. He doesn't want us to miss that. Don't come to church because someone's given you the impression that this is how you can you know, look holy or be holy or, you know, feel better about yourself as in your checking off the boxes for Christianity. Come because you confess you need to be comforted because you're in a struggle, because you wrestle like the rest of us, because you're bearing a cross. And you hear the words of Jesus saying in Matthew 11, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the king of the universe says, here I am. I come to you this is a dress rehearsal for my glorious coming and I forgive you once again and I lift you up once again. Your thoughts, brothers?
2: I, I come back to the practicality of all of this. So, you know, we, we get caught up in our discussions about theology and church and the uh, Lord's Supper and how we define everything. But it's not about those systematic boxes. Or It's because correct teaching on this matters, right? I mean, I think you're your maybe even righteous anger today against, uh, I'm not gonna say it, kar- cyclismo, you, you yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not a matter of, of, of I'm right, you're wrong, or that you dislike a certain movement for a particular reason, or, or some sort of tribalism or something like that. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the damage you're seeing it do to people who ought to be living lives that are, that are in peace and bring, bringing comfort to anxiety, and that teaching, because it's incorrect, it's doing the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. And so as you were laying out that, that whole, all you are saying about church, mm-hmm. I think so many people misunderstand. You, you said like 10 things. I was like, oh, sometimes we could unpack that and that and that, you know, the, the purpose of gathering together to hear God's word. You know, you think about the Lord's supper, we can all kinds of debates. What's really happening? Is this symbolic? Is it, well, it matters what it is, because if it's really him coming to us each and every week, then I can be refreshed and prepared to face another six days out in this messy world because I've literally met Jesus who promised to be with us to the end of the age, not hypothetically, not abstractly, but to meet me on a weekly, regular basis, knowing my needs and then providing that forgiveness for me, I'm seeing, I'm tasting, I'm touching. That's what we want all the time, right? Well, if I could see it, then we're here see it taste it touch it it's yours to to reinvigorate that confidence and comfort to head back out to the challenges and the struggles that that we face in our in our life and and that's it and so quickly we turn it into a tent church attendance or if i'm good i go to heaven so i better go to church i don't want to go to church you know no it literally has the stuff you need you know and and so understanding all of those things is not some theological exercise it is this very real life, down to earth, practical reality that if we can grasp and understand and teach correctly, can bring that comfort and that hope to real people in real lives, um, and not just win some debate or argument over who's, who's saying it right. That's not what's happening.
0: I can't tell you as a pastor, how happy I am for a non-pastor. Granted, you're a teacher in the church, but. For a non pastor to say that because, you know, pastors are supposed to say that, you know, and to hear a Christian brother just say that, it's not theological jargon. It is where the rubber meets the road. God recognizes that we struggle and that we can have anxiety about the future. And He says every Sunday, guess what? It's back to the future this morning. It's back to the future this morning. And I'm coming to you right now and I'm giving you myself and you have nothing to fear. It's depressing, it's angering.
1: How many people just don't know that, right? Don't Mm -hmm. don't see it that way and have the view of the church that church as box checking is, um, you know, the, the fight, for lack of a better word, over doctrine, the debate, the discussion over doctrine, how it, it, it does get turned into, you know, who's right and who's smarter, who's, who's this and that. But um, we see the damage, you know, we look at the damage that we see in this world and how oftentimes do we not look back and say, well, what's caused that? What has brought us to that place? And, and, and I would argue that's in any type of damage or brokenness in the world. But when we look at people who view God or live, their lives with a certain understanding of, you know, who God is, what God has done for them or the opposite, what I'm supposed to do for him and those type of things um, had the the two different roads that that takes people. And I think, you know, we'll get into this in the next chapter a little bit in chapter 11, um, but people are broken and people are anxious and people are fearful and people are depressed and people have anxiety and it's frustrating, to see that it, when we don't understand what God is, is, is trying so hard to, to share with us, um, how that just adds and, and creates all of that, that anxiety and that fear, where, you know, reading the verses that you brought up in uh, today's discussion, how does it, you know, you just, boy, the weight's gone. Mm-hmm. The fear's gone. It is, you know, now, why wouldn't I go to church? to hear that, to be comforted, to be reminded God has won despite what it looks like, right? That God is, to, is about giving himself for us. That's it, that's Christianity. God giving himself for us. Yeah, but don't I have to, no, no, no. God is giving for you. Yeah, but what about, no, no, no. God is giving himself for you. And it's, it's, it's frustrating how many people have been led astray uh, and, and have been encouraged to see God in a very, very different light.
0: Um, This morning uh, before I came here, uh, my, my, I have, I've been blessed with 10 grandchildren. My, my oldest grandchild, uh, Ellie is a, it's Grandparents Day at, at the at at the uh, at Abiding Savior uh, Lutheran School in in Lake Forest. So, my wife and I went to a Grandparents Day. And we were in chapel, and she got to sing, and I took pictures, a bunch of pictures. And you just <laughs> granddads do that; they take a lot of pictures with their grandchildren. And I was doing that again. And um, um, recently, somebody gifted me. I received a card in the mail, and they. Uh, they were rejoicing in the ministry and, and they, there was a hundred dollar bill in the card. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm there, uh, at the grandparents day and Ellie is done singing. I give her a big hug. We're sitting in the back and I said, I'm so proud of you. And she's excited about the book fair, uh, there that day. Um, but, um, uh, she only had $10 and, and she wanted a little more. So, um, I gave her the hundred dollars and you should, I just wanted to give it to her to see her face. <laughs> and she was like bouncing off the wall. She was so excited about this. Um, hopefully she doesn't become a uh, materialist after this. But anyway, <laughs> um, the gospel, uh, I shared an acronym with my people last Sunday, uh, G O S P E L, uh, God's own son purchased eternal life. And then he just gives it to you. Now, now Ellie, as I handed her the hundred dollar bill, she's just standing there like, you know, like, and if she had thought to herself, what do I have to do? By the time I finished hugging her and just told her, I just love her she would realize nothing. Like you were saying, nothing. And that's the gospel. God's own son purchased eternal life. And he did not give us this gospel so that we would live in anxiety. He gave it to us so that we wouldn't have to. Brothers, I want to um, cap off today by reading the last section of our chapter. Um, I, I... I was reminded this morning when I took a look at the chapter before I came, that um, I I talk about somebody that um, Brad and Shane know very well. Um, This is about uh, uh, Brad's father and uh, Shane's grandfather, uh, Bob DeYoung, Robert DeYoung. Um, And so he will be a part of this. Uh, Robert is now in heaven with the Lord. And I was with him uh, the day he went to heaven. Um, and he, uh, I got to see his living faith on his last day. Um, but this is, uh, this is before that happened. And it includes Bob. From chapter 10 of Faith That Sees Through the Culture, the Lutheran lens, when are we? Beginning at the bottom of page 204. This, not yet life has an immense impact on the now, on the now life. Yes, we face many trials in the now life, but to be one in possession of the not yet life is to receive a dose of overwhelming perspective. The lens of faith leads to see that our life even now, is with God. With this great vision of faith, St. Paul said in Romans 8.31, it's a great verse, if God is for us, who can be against us? If the Christian knows that not even death can have the last word, what can any other problem do? Thus, Jesus said do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell that's Matthew 10 28 you ever wonder how the martyrs could have been so bold in facing death they were utterly convinced of the truth that they would never truly die Bringing this not-yet-life into the now changes everything. It doesn't matter what Christians must contend with. They are filled with the life of Christ. God is on their side. This does not mean that Christians live in reckless abandon, but it does mean that the future is not something to be feared. Instead, Christians have already seen it. (laughs) Kind of getting back to your analogy about the movie. (laughs) This is the lens of faith that can see. No clouds can hide it so that Christians live in joy even under the weight of their crosses. From Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord from Philippians 4. Thanks be to God. Bob DeYoung is one of those amazing Christians. Quiet, humble but as steady and as generous as anyone could be. He loves God and he loves to serve and to share his faith. Just knowing and serving him strengthens me in my ministry. He has held up my arms as a friend and brother in Christ for many years. I am proud to be one of his pastors. He received a serious diagnosis, a form of cancer that has no cure The disease, however, has quite simply failed to quell his spirit. He is a joyful Christian who continues to give of himself, giving to his family and giving to his church. By God's grace, Bob has epitomized what Garth Ludwig put forth so eloquently in his book, Order Restored. It's a great book. The day that Bob received his diagnosis, he called me and I shared something with him from Ludwig. There's a difference between the disease, the illness and the sickness. Cancer was the disease, but it did not dictate Bob's reaction to it, the illness. Nor did it mandate the way he had to be treated by others, the sickness. There is, in other words, a difference between the objective phenomenon, the disease, the subjective personal phenomenon, the illness, and the social phenomenon, the sickness. Ludwig also taught there's a difference between wellness and wholeness. Ludwig wrote... This is why a distinction must be made between wellness, which means the ability to function, and wholeness, which means to live for a purpose. Bob knows the now and the not yet. He is right with God. Consequently, the disease has not been permitted to unnecessarily make worse his illness or sickness. In the face of the disease... He has held on to his wholeness in Christ. He continues to live with purpose and with joy. Bob does this by the grace of God, fully confident of what the disease can never touch, his eternal life in Christ, a life that is already his. Um, And of course, after this... uh, Kind of the rest of the story with that is that when he did receive that diagnosis, uh, he was given the doctor was actually bold enough to give him an uh, an amount of time in which he would live. But I attribute um, the grace of God. I I attribute what actually happened to Bob to the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and Bob being enabled to not permit the disease to overcome his self perception of his illness or to be treated by others as if he were sick. Uh, it it uh, about quadrupled his time that the doctor gave him. <laughs> and there were many instances, even getting towards his last days, he was very strong, still building. Uh, he'd love to work with his hands as a carpenter, building things, making things, and always joyful. And um, even on his very last day, when he was physically very uncomfortable on his hospital bed, to take his hand, to give the word into his ear, he calmed down and he got back to his faith. Um, So um, this is the practical, (laughs) this is where the rubber hits the road and why this um, orientation of time is so important. Uh, Bob knew as uh, we all are called to know in the word of God, that his was the now and the not yet at the same time, and that he had nothing to fear. And that death was only a passageway into the life he already had to see now with eyes opened the glory of god brothers thanks again we uh, got through another episode and we only have one left uh, tom mentioned chapter 11 and that was a little um you know advertisement of what's coming we're going to talk about the two words of law and gospel the two words in the word of god and how to communicate that, how to talk to people about those two words. And this will be the conclusion of season one. Um, and then we're, then we're going to start season two by the grace of God. I'm excited about that. We have some new material to delve into. Um, but for now, we're so happy that you joined us on Light of the World. Once again, uh, please keep us in prayer and spread the word of Christ. Uh, not asking for money. Instead, support your local church. Go to church, be a part of the community of faith and know that um, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is your light, your savior, and he will continue to bless you as you call on his name. Thanks for joining us on Light of the World.